Amen. Good morning. How is everybody? Alright, so let's try that again. This room is full, and that was really bad. Alright, how's everybody doing? Great! Pretty weak, and I even gave you all a forewarning about how this time you need to be better. Alright, good morning. Alright, we're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 6 today. We're going to work through ve- uh, verses 5 and 9, if you, 5 through 9. If you want to get there as I, I talk, that's where we're going to camp out. That's where we're going to land. We're going to go a few other places in your Bible, but for the most part, that's where we are. Um, I mean, I love this time of year. I know um, it, it's already hot, and, and that's just the, the price you pay of being a Texan. Um, and living in a concrete jungle, um, but it's not unbearable yet, and I don't know why, I was talking to somebody this week about why the summer really matters for me, because it doesn't change what I do, um, I, I've been out of college for well over a decade now, but for some reason I find myself staying up a little later during the summer, because it's the summer, and a lot of y'all look well rested, you've been on some really sweet vacations, um, half of our staff went to Europe, so that's cool, um, they were in here before, like we, before we get together and we meet, and uh, they were like just recounting their European vacation. So the Dishes went to Europe and the Houghtons went to Europe. Turns out the Houghtons are royalty and they have a castle. And that's not even a joke. You can follow that on Instagram. Uh, and they were just recounting about how this like rejuvenated themselves and how it was awesome. And the whole time I was thinking, I eat at Arby's so much that they gave me a free drink this week. So we're all kind of winning. Um, no, but I'm glad we have people traveling, and uh, we do pray for traveling grace. This is the time of year where you do need to come and, um, and just take a break, take a pause, enjoy your family, uh, go on vacations. They're much uh, needed and much earned, much earned, so I pray that wherever you're traveling, um, that, that God finds you there and that he renews you and gives you endurance for the work he has before you. Um, this week was really special. This week was the 75th anniversary of D-Day, and we kind of already uh, hit on that a few weeks ago during Memorial Weekend, um, where it's important, no matter where you find yourself in your life, what season you're in, or, or what trials you're going through, whether it be a valley or a mountaintop, that you always push pause and, and, and be thankful for the life that you've been given and the life that you're afforded to live. And, and anniversaries um, like D-Day and, and weekends like Memorial Day weekend are good times for us to just self-reflect that the life that we live as Americans um, was not given to us freely, but men and women paid the ultimate price that we could live that way. And that very much correlates into the life of the believer. The, the life that the believer lives today is, is a life of freedom because a debt was paid. So I always want us to find ourselves um, uh, not so much inward focus, but always aware of the, the bounty, aware of the beauty that's been given to us that we may find peace and solace and contentment through uh, God's provision. Last week we closed out Genesis. I don't know how many of you were here, but it it was a really beautiful thing for us to close out uh, a message series. Um, And and we closed out Genesis. I feel like we did Genesis well. We we learned through it well. We we poured through Scripture. And praise be to God, every time we're able to move through a book of His Word, that He could just see us through it see us through it, guide us through it, and hopefully just let the Spirit move in our lives in accordance to that Scripture. Um, Trinity Church is always rooted in the Word of God. Um, And I know every church says that, and I pray that every church is, but we put a high price on just studying the Word of God. When we pick out Scripture, when we pick out a book or a passage, we want to pour into it. We want to we want to draw out the marrow of that Scripture, and we want the Spirit to move in that Scripture. And the way that we usually do that is an exegetical study. It's when we when we start the book of Mark, when we start the book of Colossians, 
When we start the book of James, we're going to start with the first word. We're going to end with the last word. We're going to see what the Spirit does in between. Um, but this summer, we're actually going to do a few thematic studies. So this week, we are starting our study in prayer. We're going to see what it means to commune with God, what it means to have a personal relationship with God, what it means to corporately pray, what it means to pray in private, and how all of that points us to Christ. All of that points us to a relationship with the triune God. So for the next four weeks, we're going to dive into prayer. We're going to do that while working through the Lord's Prayer. We're going to work through uh, the chapter 6 in Matthew and work through what Christ showed us to do in pray. He literally says, pray then like this. And we're going to take that literally. We're going to look at those red letter words and we're going to look through them how they apply to our life and how they point us to prayer and a lifestyle of communing with God uh, all of those weeks are going to culminate on June 30th and we're going to have our first night of corporate worship and prayer where we get in this room and we speak all of it. we get together and we pray with intentionality of the things we want to see God do in this city in our life the things that we want to see God work for his glory and his beauty inside his city there's a lot of just beauty inside of understanding prayer. And I know prayer scares a lot of people. Um, and some of that is is okay because you are in fear of God and, and you, you want to do it well. But it should never drive us away from it. Um, know this, when we teach on prayer, I'm going to step on some of your toes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hopefully hit you in a place that, that holds you accountable and points you to be a better version. But know this, I am not preaching or teaching from a place of expertise. Actually, if I'm stepping on your toes, I've probably cut mine off. That, that prayer is a struggle for me as well. Prayer is one of those things um, that for a lot of people just ends up in guilt because we don't do it um, enough or we don't feel like we do it well. But I want to point us to what prayer actually is, which is as a relationship with God, which is God is calling you to himself. He's calling his sons and his daughter, the children of God, um, to know him better, to live through him, to live with him, and to bring glory to him. And that's ultimately what we're going to land on prayer, of how prayer is going to shape the life and the heart of the believer. That's, that's our daily uh, wish for our church. And after uh, our, our season of prayer, we're going to move in to um, the parables. We're going to teach through the parables. And that's really what the summer looks like for Trinity Church Oak Cliff. I'm really excited to see what God has in store for us as we dive into his word and pull out his lessons and his way. If you would stand with me, I'm going to read out loud. There's going to be scripture on the TV and there should be a Bible next to you. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 through 9. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret sees and will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray over us, and we're going to dive in. God, I pray that the idea of prayer fills us with excitement and expectation. God, I pray that, that we view the next few weeks as prayer as just uh, 
something that was paid for, that we were able to pray through your Savior, through, through Christ, um, that we may be seen as your son and daughters, that we may know you better, that we may have a relationship with you. God, I pray for the next few minutes in this room that we're able to pour through your prayer, the Lord's prayer, and apply it to our lives, that we may be in lockstep with you for your will and for your glory. Amen. All right, let's, let's dive in. Let's pour some of this out. So in verse 5, uh, what we see is, is Christ's teaching. So Christ's life um, really in his earthly ministry was a summation of different teaching points. He moved around. He healed and he taught. He healed and he taught. His, his goal was to make disciples, to teach his ways, to teach his people how to, to be believers, how to start the church, how to be faithful. All of these things had uh, intentionality to them. And one of the things that he taught first is the Lord's Prayer. He's teaching you how to commune with God. And then every time you study scripture, we've talked about this before, um, you can view scripture as prescriptive or descriptive. Prescriptive um, is really like how are you living your life. It's more of a mantra. It's an example of showing you what to believe and how to believe. And descriptive is, is this is a historical account of what happened. So a lot of the Old Testament is descriptive. It's just this is laying out what literally happened. And, and a lot of the New Testament is prescriptive. Paul's writing and saying this is how you should live your life in accordance with scripture. But the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of Christ teaching as they're both. Christ literally set before his believers and prayed this prayer out loud, teaching them to pray, and it's also the way he wants us to pray. He is teaching us with his words what he expects from his believers, and he's hitting all the high points. This is a very short prayer. Most of you probably have this memorized just by uh, the sheer amount of times you've heard it, um, but everything has such intentionality. Every word has so much importance, and that's what we're going to do in the next few weeks. We're going to dive into each word showing you that Christ said it with intentionality. Christ said it with a purpose to lead you to the throne and to the glory of God. But before he could literally teach you prayer, he had to teach you how and why. Verses 5, he says, when you pray, not if, but when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. He's talking about the Sanhedrin. He's talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they should be seen. Prayer first and foremost, is a personal relationship with God. If you do it to be seen, if you do it to be showy, you've missed the point from the very beginning. Before your words enter your mouth, before, sorry, before your words exit your mouth, your heart's already in the wrong place. If you're doing it because you want to be seen, or you're doing it because you think you need to pray, or you're doing it for an external pressure, then you've already messed up. And, and Christ knows that. Christ became 100% human for us that He may live our life and understand what we go through, understand the plight of humanity, understand the brokenness of humans. And He knows that a lot of prayer at this time has to do with just be seen doing the right thing. That's not too different than 2019. A lot of what we do as Christians, a lot of what we do as believers is from external pressures of what we think people need to see Christians do. And what Christ is saying from the very beginning is, when you pray, it has to be about your heart in a personal relationship with God. You don't need to be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees where they pray on the corners so that everyone can see how holy and pious they are. Everyone can see how good and upright I am. They try to shun the idea that they were broken, that they were one level above the average believer because of their cleanliness, because of their sinlessness. But all of that was nothing because their heart was cold and black. That is why they forsake Christ. That's why they crucified Christ because they never connected the, the theology and doctrine of the Old Testament with the faith and belief of the New Testament. They could not bridge that gap. But the beautiful thing is that that gap has already been bridged by Christ Jesus and we can understand that gap. We can understand that belief and connection through 
prayer. And when he says you have to shut the door, he's not saying that corporate prayer is, is not to be done. Corporate prayer is a beautiful thing. Corporate prayer is, is spontaneous and, current, and, and encourages people like, to be a better version of themselves. I know that corporate prayer for me lets me know that I'm in the same ship with the same people. When I stand shoulder to shoulder with people praying and singing the, the worship songs of God, it lets me know that I'm not alone on this earth. Yes, the Spirit's always with me, but I have, I have the sons and the daughters of God in lockstep with me praying and commuting with the Savior and that I'm not alone in this earthly work, but I have people that have come alongside me to help and sustain me. Corporate prayer is a beautiful thing. So when he says, go into a room and close the door, he is not saying don't corporately pray, but he's saying no matter you, if you're on the street corner or if you're in a quiet room in your house, your heart has to be right or the prayer is a waste of time and silly words. That point was supposed to take 10 seconds and it took four minutes. Listen fast. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into the room, shut the door, and pray to your Father. Father with a capital F, who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So your Father, He is, he is, your, he is your earthly King, hears you and knows what you need. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as Gentiles do, for they think that with they will be heard with their many words. Again, this is not... Um, a hit on uh, liturgy. Liturgy is beautiful, and liturgy is something that we will work through as we work through this series and as we will implement in our night of worship. Liturgy is is a people who um, understand the the importance of, of beautiful language to speak to the human heart, and how um, repetition in of itself isn't dangerous or bad until you start and until it starts to just be words. So as long, long as we always understand the words we say and understand the words we sing. They are not repetition for repetition's sake. They are just beautiful words being uttered out the mouth of the believer. But what he is he is cautioning you against is the Gentiles. So the Greeks at this time would just memorize stuff that they didn't understand. They just knew that before they could pray, they had to list out all of these gods and all of these beliefs. And the average Gentile, the average Greek at this time, didn't really understand their faith. They were just good at memorizing things. And that hits home too. There are so many faiths and religions on this earth that don't understand the one true king, but they can memorize things well. And what Christ is saying is, I don't care about your ability to memorize. I care about your ability to come before the throne of Christ on your knees and profess your confessions, profess your adorations, and profess your desires that you may know me better. I don't need you to memorize something. I need you to hold tight to me in your heart. And do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And a lot of people can say, like, well, if He already knows what I need, why pray? I feel like this is not efficient. If, 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 I, if He already knows what I need, and uh, I'm literally just like, let's just get this thing going. Um, and let's just, let's just cut out the middleman. Uh, I profess you as king. You know what I need. Give me what I need, when I need it, and let's just go about our day uh, and, and be believers for Christ. But here's the thing. You've misunderstood the idea of prayer. You don't pray to God to get something. You pray to God to know someone. You have to stand before God and say, I want to know you. Yes, you saved me. Yes, you redeemed me. Yes, I get to talk to God through the lens of Christ. And God looks at me through the lens of Christ so that when God sees me, he doesn't see a broken, devastated, 
sinner named Tim, he sees a child of God saved by the blood of Christ. He looks at me through the lens of the blood of Christ. And because of that lens, I can pray to him. I'm not praying because I want a wish list. I'm praying because I want to know him. I want him to sustain me. I want him to support me. I want him to encourage me. I want him to walk alongside me. And no matter what happens, whether the floods comes or the fires comes or I trip, that I have someone to pick me up and keep walking. Because knowledge of the true God, knowledge of the triune God is where peace that passes understanding comes from. We love the idea of having peace that passes understanding, but the idea of actually having peace that passes understanding means that you know God. That you know God is perfect and, and, and sovereign and that He has planned good things for you, not happy things. It doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. It doesn't mean you're not going to want. It doesn't mean you're not going to hurt. But it knows that I know that I serve a God that I have hope in, that I have peace in, and that I have reassurance of salvation in, that one day I will, I will worship eternally with my Savior. Those are the things you learn from prayer. And then verse 9, he says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven. Before you can pray well, you have to understand who you're praying to. And you are praying to your Abba Father. You are praying to the Creator, the Sustainer, and the Savior of this universe. You are praying to someone who loved you more than you can concept love. You're praying to someone who invented the idea of love. You're praying to someone who agape loved you, that loved you so much he gave his only son for you. Hallowed be your name. He is holy. He is to be separated and put above all else. There is one triune God, and that is it. Anything else in his place is the definition of idolatry. He is saying, My, our Father in heaven. So he is our Father, but he is in heaven. He is sovereign over all. Hallowed be your name. Before we can go before the throne of Christ and, and lay out our supplications, lay out our confessions, lay out our, our desires and our needs, we have to understand who we're going to. We are going to our Savior, our Creator, and He is in heaven and sovereign, and He is holy above all. So prayer is hard. I'm not going to act... Like every time I hear a sermon on prayer... Um, and even to this day, when I hear like a book on prayer or a sermon on prayer or, or um, a TED Talk on prayer or whatever it is, um, there's probably not been a TED Talk on prayer. But uh, anything on prayer, I, I'm, I'm a very literal person. I'm a type A, I'm, a, I'm an 8, whatever that means. And um, if you understand how I work, if you give me a to-do list, if you give me something to accomplish, if you give me something to destroy, if you give me something, I'm going to put it on the to-do list and it's going to get done. This is how type A I am. If I accomplish something that I forgot to put on the to-do list, I'm going to go back and put it on the to-do list just so I can cross it off. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you're with me, but don't for a second think that's healthy. And that's, that's not, you're not in a good place because no one even knows your list and your list isn't getting checked. And like, I tell myself all the time, but it's like my biggest thing, I forget to put trash on the, uh, the to-do list, but I have to walk over the trash to get to my car so it always gets taken out. And a lot of times I'll sit in my car up for the trash, get the phone out, trash. <sighs> delete, 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 delete. And that's how I know that I'm broken. <laughs> But for a person like me, the ambiguity of prayer can destroy you. Because there's no one that's going to tell you the perfect way to pray uh, as far as your prayer life. Now there's the Lord's Prayer. He's going to give you a guide. But inside this guide, he doesn't go on later to say you need 7 minutes in the morning. Um, and you need 25 minutes at night. 
and you need uh, like you need intentional prayer, but you also need shotgun prayer. So intentional prayer is like your quiet time, which got invented in the '90s and sounds like time out for adults, but it's actually a beautiful thing. Um, and there's shotgun prayer that like you're driving in the car and you're like, man, I hope this goes well, whatever it may be. Um, and and for me, I I would do a lot better if someone would sit me down, if Tim Keller would sit me down and say, hey, I'm gonna just write out what you need to accomplish today in the ways of prayer, and I could probably accomplish it. So for most people like me, reading the Bible um, isn't maybe where you struggle as far as your discipline because it's a tangible thing. I can, I can get a, a, a read through the Bible in a year or I can mark out chapters that I need to read and I can get it done. Whether I'm reading and letting the Spirit move or not or I'm just reading it like in a textbook, it doesn't matter. I've accomplished the task. And, and for people like me and a lot of people everywhere, um, prayer is something that uh, we don't fully grasp the beauty of. We don't fully grasp um, the, the idea of having a personal relationship with the creator and sustainer of all things. We don't 100% understand that we are asking something that the person we're praying to already knew a million years ago what we were going to pray. The idea of that is, is above the human understanding. And some of that's okay. It's okay to pray to a God you don't fully understand because that's what makes him God. The second you think you've put God in a box and you fully understand him, you, you're walking in some dangerous world. Um, but it, it's, it's one of those things that we, we, we shy away from, we feel guilt. A lot of times when I say prayer, the, the next ver- feeling you feel is guilt. You don't feel excitement, you don't see adoration, you don't see expectation. You just say, that's something I need to do more. And one of the main reasons we need to do it, uh, we feel this guilt and anxiety surrounded around prayer is because the, the Satan loves the idea of getting in our wheelhouse when it comes to prayer. Because he understands in some ways it's amb- ambiguous. That's not where I was going. But he understands that this, there, there, there's a guilt here and there's a worry here, there's a stress here that he likes to key in on. Because we don't fully understand the love of our Father. He is our Father. We have earthly fathers. I don't know all of your fathers. I hope that they are good, godly men. I know for most of them, they just probably did the best they could with what they had. But I don't know your relationship. So when I say He's your Father, that could for you mean that's an awesome thing. Or it could be like, I don't have a good feeling with fathers. I don't have a good feeling with how this is going. And, and, and there's so much personal baggage of human brokenness that we put on prayer that it, it forts us from actually walking um, in a prayerful communion with God. And, and there's this guilt of, I, the, I spend the first five minutes praying, I just feel, I, I spend apologizing for not praying enough. And a lot of that is because we put God on a human level. And I, here's an example. I like Bear. Bear's a good dude. Um, Bear could cook a mean steak. Bear opened up his house yesterday for the men's barbecue. Cooked an amazing steak. It was great. Very hospitable. Thank you, Bear. Um, no. I can't, I can't uh, say how thankful I am enough for that dude because when Bear came into this church, it was very tiptoe and I'm not sure what this church thing's about, but Tim seems like kind of a bro, so I gave him a chance, and now Bear is a pillar of this church, and that's the definition of the Holy Spirit moving, but we'll go into that in a later. But say I view my relationship with God as the same as my relationship with Bear, um, except for I constantly let Bear down. Right? Like, I, I, I can't live up to the expectations that I think he wants. Um, he's perfect and I'm not. And I constantly can't get through the fact that, like, I, I want to hang out with Bear. He's a cool dude. I want to commune with Bear. I want to do everything I can to know Bear, Bear different. But I can't look Bear in the eye because I can't stop letting this guy down. And what we do with prayer and with God is since we don't understand his love, we don't understand that he's, he's holy and he's our father and that he loved us so much he sent his only son, is that we just try to avoid Bear. 
Look, like if I can't stop letting you down, then I'm not going to commune with you. If I can't, if I feel like I can't stop letting God down, then I'm not going to pray to you. And when I do, I'm not going to be honest because I can't lay myself bare because I'm, I'm scared that you may not love me for who I really am. And the beauty of God and the beauty of Him being our Father is He knows us exactly how we are. Gen, uh, Ephesians 2 says that when we were at our worst, He died for us. And a lot of us say, like, I'm going to start praying more when I get my act together. But here's the thing. God died for you at your worst, but even at your best, you were still pretty crappy. Amen. I, all right. I like that. <laughs> He's like, yeah, more specifically you. But I mean, <laughs> So we have to understand the who and the why before we can actually walk into a life of prayer. We understand the who more than we understand the why. We understand He's our creator and our savior and our sustainer. But the why to us is completely foreign. The idea that he knows everything or that I'm a failure in his eyes. But we see Ephesians 2 where it says, but God. We were broken in the ways of the world and we walked in sin. He knew that. He knew that we were broken. He knew that he was gonna, we were going to let him down. He knew that we were broken and we would never live up to a perfect example. But he died. He sent his son to die for us anyways. John 3.16 where he sent his only son. There is no greater love than that. That is the why. I want to know my Savior more. I want to understand my God more. And that can't happen outside of prayer. Prayer and the Word of God are deeply connected and deeply rooted. You cannot do one without the other. You can't say, I have a great uh, prayer life, but I don't read my Bible. And you can't say, I'm great at studying my Bible, but I just can't pray a lot. Those two things can't coexist. The, the Word of God will always point you to prayer, and prayer will always point you to the Word of God. We commune daily with our God to find our peace, our balance, and to find our meaning. A lot of times we feel thrashed and we need energy and we, we pray for endurance and we, we feel out of sync or we don't know where true north is. And always when people come to me and say, I'm broken, this isn't going right, this isn't doing this and that, my first instinct is, what's your prayer life like? Are you communing daily with your Savior? Because communing with your, your Savior daily isn't going to make... Your, your life in, in a worldly sense easier. It's not going to mean that, that uh, trouble isn't going to find you and, and depravity is still not the way of the earth. None of those things are going to change. But prayer is going to dramatically affect how you walk through this earth. Prayer is dramatically going to affect um, how you're able to take on those, those obstacles, how you're able to take on uh, those, those, those moments in your life that will define you. Look at 2 Thessalonians uh, Chapter 5, verses 14. Paul calls us to a certain way of life. And he says, I urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle, encourage the, fa uh, the, the faint-hearted, and to help the weak, to be patient with them all, to see that no one pray, uh, repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do the good uh, for one another to everyone. These verses, let's hone in on. Verse 16, where it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the true will of God through Jesus Christ. These are some beautiful things that we love to champion. We love the idea of rejoicing always. We love the idea of praying without ceasing and to give thanks in all circumstances. When Paul writes these beautifully romantic passages that point us to Christian lifestyle, he always surrounds them with prayer. When he says rejoice always, that is impossible without prayer. 
You can't rejoice always. He's not saying rejoice when good things happen. He says, in the face of devastation and death, rejoice. Well, how can I do that? Because you're praying without ceasing. You are communing with God, and He is giving you peace that passes all understanding. He writes the same kind of passage in Romans 12, verses 9 through 13, where he says, Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. So Paul is laying out ways that we know we want to live. I want to be patient in tribulation. I want to rejoice always. I want to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I want to live a manner in which God has called me to do, but I cannot do it if I'm not constant in prayer. I cannot do it if I'm not diving into the Word of God daily to see what He has for me. And that's really what we want to encompass in the next few weeks. We want to walk through what it is to have a prayer life. We want to walk through what it means to say, yes, I, I have failed God. I have, I have, I have sinned. I, I am broken. But I don't have to avoid God. I have to come to Him as a loving Father. My prayer for my kids is that I will raise them in a way that when uh, things go south, they don't find ways to hide it from me, but I'm their first phone call. Amen. And I don't know really how to do that. I don't know exactly um, how I could tell Asher and Nora, and I'm not allowed to say the next name, but Asher and Nora <laughs> is another name um, we haven't decided. I've decided it's an ongoing thing. Um, <laughs> That I want to explain to them, like, there's no amount of sin and brokenness that you could do that I'm not going to come. That phone rings, your son, your dad comes. I don't care where you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if i got to fight my way in and fight my way out. Have you seen that girl? I'll conquer worlds for that girl. And I'm just a broken dad. I'm not Abba Father. I'm not the God. I don't love unconditionally. I don't even understand what that means. But I know if that girl calls me in the middle of the night and says, Dad, I'm in trouble and I'm coming, it doesn't matter what she's done and whatever got her in trouble, better bring a lunch pail because there's going to be a mission going on. But what I'm saying is that kind of love in, in, in the pales in comparison to what your Abba Father has for you. What your Father says, I sent my only son and I tortured him to death for you. He was slaughtered on the cross and his blood, his blood ran in the street for you and you're worried that I'm not going to hear your prayer because you sinned yesterday that's Satan working in your life and I pray today that we start to emboldenly walk in the ways of prayer I just made up a word but move through it I pray that we walk in prayer in understanding that, that we have been given a gift when it comes to communing with our Savior we've been given a gift when it comes to to coming to the throne of God and worshiping our triune Savior. Let me pray over us, and, and the band's going to come and close us with a song. So my, my hope this week uh, uh, for this group is that we intentionally focus on prayer, that we work for prayer, and that we realize it's not something that's going to happen through happenstance, but it's something we're going to have to call ourselves to with, with dedication and intentionality. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have just to, to gather in your name. God, I pray we never take for granted your ways and your will. I, I pray that we never take for granted the freedoms we have to just scream your praises and to dive into your word. I pray that we dive into your word and it points us to prayer and that we daily pray and it points us to your word. God, whatever misconceptions or fears or hesitations we have when it comes to coming before your throne and bending our knee, 
I pray that you would, you would rift those out and that we would live a radical, openly abandoned life to you. I pray all things in your name for your will.